Hi, I'm Vincent Andrasani, and this is episode 24 of The Place of Sound. This episode is the second in a three-part series produced in association with the Urban Imaginaries Project. Urban Imaginaries is a collaborative project developed by the School of Industrial Design and the Communication Media Studies Program at Carleton University and Arlington Five, a local coffee house here in Ottawa at the corner of Bank Street in Arlington. The project kicked off with an in-person gathering on Sunday, February 27th, and it'll consist of a series of episodes of this radio show as well as in-person events and workshops hosted at Arlington 5. To learn more, check out urbanimaginaries.com or at urbanimaginaries on Instagram. The first of the three episodes was hosted by Vancouver-based sound artist Helena Krobath, which showcased her most recent soundscape composition titled Sea Readings or a Watery Grave. In this episode, we're going to change things up a bit, both in terms of format and in terms of the topic itself. In this episode, it's my pleasure to present to you a dialogue that I had with Dr. Tracy Lorio, professor in the Communication and Media Studies program at Carleton University, but who's trained as a geographer. Dr. Lorio is also interested in sensory studies, but has approached her work not through sound and listening, but through the sense of smell. So in this discussion, Dr. Lorio and I explore the idea of scent cartographies, and we ask, what might we learn if we think more deliberately through our sense of smell? And what might it mean to design spaces with the idea of smell in mind? A big thanks to Dr. Lorio for taking the time to have this conversation and for sharing her expertise. Enjoy. So, you know, the, the thing that was really fun about thinking about smell and cartography is, is cartography is the top of the food chain if you will, mm-hmm. in terms of the hierarchy of the senses, because it starts with observation, what you see. Well, what about a cartography that you can't see? What about a cartography that you sense in a different way? How can you understand place, space, time, and scale through another mode of knowing or another multi-sensory mode of knowing, which might be olfaction? Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was a by accident that I came to this, but it was, as we say in French, or as we say in English, serendipitous, that I happened to be working on a project called Cyber Cartography um, under the directorship of uh, Fraser Taylor at Carleton University. And cyber cartography is about multimedia, multimodal, multisensory, multidimensional, multimedia, and transdisciplinary cartography. So how would we bring a whole bunch of these other forms of knowing into the realm of what we might think of mapping and of knowing places? And all of the multi-sensory aspects of the project were taken up, sound, uh, modality, these things, uh, even cartography for the blind and, and tactility and haptics and all those things. But there was nothing on, on smell. And they said, yo, Tracy, how about this topic? And I went, I'm on it. And when I first started, it made me incredibly happy because I happened to have a rather generous nose. Being a French Canadian, you often come with a very generous nose. And not only is my nose rather generous, it's very sensitive. I smell a lot. 
And I do have a very multi-sensory engagement with wherever I am. As you know, Vincent, I only recently got a phone. I've never had a phone, uh, which means that I don't, I don't even have maps when I'm walking through a city anywhere I go in the world. If I do, it's a paper map that's in my back pocket. And generally, I like the getting lost aspect of the world, which means that I'm fully present when I'm moving through a city, even my own city, which is Ottawa, where I live now, I'm always fully present. It's winter. So winter has a very tin metallic kind of scent in the air, especially these really cold minus 40 days. You see lots of things. You see the smoke. Uh, a day like today, it's minus 21. It's got a real big blue sky. You can see, you know, the sparkles of the crystals on the snow. But in terms of smell, it's not very... Um, rich olfactorily when it's really, really cold. Now, if you shift the season to the spring, when things turn to slush, the soil starts to get exposed, all the microorganisms are becoming to life, as well as whatever's been left behind with by whatever critters wherever in the city, suddenly you kind of have a miasma of sense, pleasant and unpleasant, that you got to go, oh yeah, I can smell that this is spring. I can smell that things are melting. They're softening up. I can, I get a sense that there's mud coming and that things are coming alive. And it's usually a difference, right? It's yeah. strong. Yeah. Um, it's a bit sulfuric yeah. in that smell. And then when you get into the summer or as the summer is coming, then you start getting pollens. Yeah. And so, you know, some people sneeze and some people get allergies depending on the time of season, yeah. but suddenly you get flowers and you get leaves and you get greenery and suddenly the grass is being cut and you can smell that, humidity. right? The humidity is another one that makes it thicker and heavier as with the spring, yeah. right? And again, the air is much lighter when it's very, very cold. So it doesn't get captured in the environment very yeah. much. Yeah. Although we'll smell idling cars. Right, you'll smell diesel a lot more in the winter time because trucks and cars. Whoops, trucks. Yeah. Sorry about the truck yeah, reference because we right. just lived through them. Right. But you do smell diesel a lot more in the winter, whether it's a trucking convoy or not, yeah. because people are idling more. Yeah. That's the one smell that you will smell. You might smell the steam from a kitchen a lot more in the winter time yeah. uh, because that's it. That's the only thing that you can smell. The smells aren't competing. Yeah. with each other like they are in the summer because in the summer you've got lots of things competing for each other for your for your nasal attention yeah. if you will yeah. whereas you know and then you get in the middle of the summer you've got these different kinds of flowers things might be getting a little bit drier you might smell the water if you're going to a beach you'll smell something you might also one of the smells that i that is a lovely smell from that i love from my childhood is after the rain so the smell of kind of hydrangeas, sort of, they're not hydrangeas, but it's that smell of hydrangeas and soil on asphalt that you can wow. smell with the rocks. The ions in the air. Yes, yeah. exactly. You can smell those. It's a very, very strong yeah. smell. And I have very fond memories of that. Yeah. I also have, I know when we talk about smell and memory, I have incredibly fond memories of scents as a child. Um, lilies of the Valley. I mean, I used to love, there was a lady, I lived in, in Hull, and there was a lady at this kind of spooky looking house that had lots of lilacs around her house. And we all thought she was a witch. Yeah. We have no clue who she was, but this for whatever it was in our imaginary, yeah. if you will, she was a witch and we would go up to her house a little bit scared, but there was always lilacs and lilies of the valley. And I can remember sitting there or lying under the lilac trees 
And because lilies of the valleys grow under in the shady types of areas, getting really close and sticking my nose right underneath the flowers on the ground and just loving that experience of that particular time of year. So, so, so you talked a lot about uh, the relationship between smell and time. Yes. We, we understand sort of the, the sort of seasons, yes. the rhythm of the year, maybe yes. through, through yeah. scent, right? That t- tells us yeah. about that. If we think about it on a macro level. Uh, also the relationship between smell and memory. Yes. You're absolutely right. I think a lot of people will smell something and be like, takes them back. It takes you back. Smell is, smell is particularly good at that. Yes. Right. Um, but, but now you're, you're thinking about space too. Yes. So, okay. So, so smell as a sort of marker of different spaces in the city. And I really like this idea of like, you know, thinking about maybe Chinatown as, mm-hmm. as having a particular sense or, you know, pick another part of town. Little Italy. During, during, and, and during the pandemic, holy smokes, so much walking around. Like smell was very interesting during the pandemic and still remains so because people are losing their sense of smell. That is something that is happening as part of the illness and as part of the disease, right? It's a really big one. And losing your sense of smell is really dangerous. A, you can't smell a fire. You cannot smell if food is rotten which is really important. Your sense of smell helps you with that. It helps you uh, detect gases in the environment, right? So if you don't have a really good detector of those things in your environment, if your gas stove is on and you can't smell it, that's what happens with a lot of older people who lose their sense of smell. So that was a big deal. And and there's a lot of writing, you know, in the vernacular about how people, when they got their sense of smells back, how some of them were happy and some were not. Um, but also get, bring, get me back on track talking yeah, about so the city and place. Oh yes. Different, different parts of the city. And so what was interesting walking around so much, cause everybody was out walking and I certainly did a lot more walking than I normally would. Um, and we weren't able to go to restaurants. And so the only food we smelt was our own food and our own kitchens and not the food in other kitchens. Smelling fried food drove me around the bend who's like okay where is this who's frying what where is that fried whatever it is it smells so good or or smelling dough right said so right around the corner on um on preston and beach street there's a, what's the name of that pizzeria right there del piacere del piacere you could smell the dough and you could smell the pizza on that corner on a cold day i was like oh yes i know it's for dinner from that place you go up for a little further up on preston you can smell the garlic Right. If you're going to, if you go to Hintonburg, uh, you can smell the donuts being cooked or whatever. I forget the name of that place is Susie Q. Susie Q. Donuts. Right. You can smell them, especially in the morning. Um, and or you can smell cinnamon buns being made in other places. That was the big smell. Then Sweden cinnamon buns are everywhere. Cardamom and cinnamon are big, big, big uh, spices in that region. And so you get a sense of certain neighborhoods. You know them by their smell. If you walk behind Parliament. Uh, you don't get that many smells, but you do get the smell of the river from time to time, right? From that, that back area. And, and I remember being um, a, little, a little sad and a little nostalgic before I moved to Ireland. And I was walking by the Ottawa River. The water was really high because it was the springtime. I could hear it, but I could smell the particular smellscape of that area by the river behind Parliament. And I remember my heart going, I'm going to miss that in Ireland because it's going to be different. It's not going to be this smell and it's not going to be this multi-sensory experience. So it connects you to different places. Forests, 
you know, going, walking through the forest, when you're walking through deciduous or coniferous forest, they have very, very different smellscapes at different times of year. The Arboretum is lovely. And even though magnolias generally don't have a smell, you're tricked into thinking they do because they're pink or they're purple and somehow your imagination makes you think they have a smell and they don't. The apple trees do and a whole bunch of other flowering trees happen at different parts of the year in the Arboretum and biking to Carlton is great because I would bike to Carlton or walk to Carlton and I could get exposed to, again, time and place of all these different smells of all these different places. But is there a way of thinking about the city in terms of these informal boundaries in the world of scent? And if like, does that exist? And if so, how does it look like, how does it look, but how does it smell? Like what, what might we say about that? So I go a couple, so you've taken me to all these really interesting places. One, uh, it reminds me of scent and association. So not necessarily the actual experience of smelling something, but using scent associated vocabulary to describe places. That part of town stinks. It doesn't smell, but we use it stinks or it reeks because it's poor or it's dirty or we don't like it or it's the ghetto or I had a bad experience or there's something rotten about it. And we have this vocabulary that's associated with it or this place, ah, it's, it smells of money. So you go to Rockcliffe Park and it smells of money. So there's, there's associative vocabulary related to smell that we often use to describe places. So that's one way that informally different places get categorized. So that's one, one way of doing it. There is a great book, the authors evade me at the moment. Uh, it's a French book, it's called La Géographie des Odeurs. And it specifically talks about geography and it talks about this idea of smellscapes. I'm sure you've talked about soundscapes, but there are also smellscapes. So think of uh, maybe going to uh, France and maybe go to Provence and think of the flowers that are going to be used for the perfume industry that are in full bloom. That's a political economy. That's a smellscape that doesn't seem like it's an industrial smellscape, but it is because it's associated with the perfume industry or the fragrance and flavor industry. And people know there are certain times of year where you're going to get really overwhelmingly strong smells in those particular places. Very associative. Now, that's also related to industry. I mean, not far from here, there's a place called Terso. Terso was a paper manufacturing plant and it always smelled of sulfur or farts, whichever way you want to call it, it stank. People always go, oh yeah, Terso, and everybody giggles, right? People who live in Terso habituate, that's the other thing with smell, is you can habituate to bad smells and you can habituate to good smells. The more time you're there, the less you actually smell the environment that you're in. Thank goodness if you're in a place like Terso, for example. Um, so that's another way you might think of that. And so, so in terms of, um, a conceptual way of thinking there's terminology associated with smell that might be used as labels for places there are places that have very clear smell signatures because of the industry that they have perfume agriculture farming right you know a pig farm i spent time in sweden the pig farms have a very strong smell the experimental farm at certain times of the summer especially when they're putting up the manure has a really really strong smell you know okay the fall is here it's time for manure right or, or whatever kind of fertilization there's those types of smells and it tells you at least season and location because they're associative 
um, but also industries. And I find that super, super interesting. What I really would like to see a lot more of is using smell more intentionally in an urban planning context, right? So we know that uh, if there is a bad smell in a city, people complain right away. It is one thing that, you know, 311 will get a lot of calls that there's a really bad smell in a city. You know, all over Quebec, for instance, there was the proliferation of pig farms and they really smell strong. If you're a pig farmer, it's a sweet smell of success. But if you're not a pig farmer, it just reeks. And people were therefore complaining. And there's different ways to scientifically measure smell, to find out you know, how the wind carries it away and how far it goes. Ought it be considered in the placement? Is it upwind or is it downwind? You know, what's the population that's going to be affected by whatever kind of smell or smeltering? You know, the water purification plant, for instance, is right near Rothwell Heights, which is an upscale neighborhood in Ottawa. It does smell. It's by the river. And there are times when they're drying things. It does not smell particularly great in the drying beds with their outside and people complain about it. But what if, what if we decided to plant what if we studied the predominant wind patterns in the summer uh, and could tie the predominant wind patterns to a particular growing season for a particular flowering plant? What would that be like? What would it be like to, you know, walk down Wellington Street and then, you know, instead of seeing Parliament only, you might actually smell your proximity to Parliament because there was a conscientious uh, activity and planning of planting certain types of flowering trees that would come in season at a certain time. I mean, we're, we're all very familiar if you're in BC or if you're in Japan with cherry blossom season, the experience of cherry blossom seasons, the parties in Japan under the cherry blossom trees. They don't have a very strong smell, but there's a, a wonderful feeling and experience of that. What would that look like if we planned that way? I mean, some of the things that I, that I really loved um, when I lived in Tokyo, Tokyo is... A very interesting city. Sonically, it's a very interesting city. It's very noisy, but it's also surprisingly quiet in some places because of how the places are designed. Uh, it's an incredibly crowded place, um, therefore an incredibly private place at the same time because privacy is a state of mind and you design for as much privacy as you can while trying to encourage the flow of air because it's really hot in the summer. Humidity is very high, the temperature gets high. It's also full of cement and concrete. But every now and then you'll turn a corner and you'll get this amazing scent of jasmine. And jasmine trees will grow in the worst of concrete types of environments. You, you, you're surprising. You'll also smell orange blossoms. You'll smell yuzu trees. And there, people plant them all over Tokyo on their properties. And suddenly you're, you know, you're in the concrete jungle for real because it's really people have walls around their houses and there's concrete and cement everywhere. But you'll suddenly get this amazing smell. So what would it look like if we, what would Ottawa look like? What would Rockcliffe smell like? What would Chinatown smell like if we did that? Would it be maybe lotus blossom flowers? Maybe, you know, for, for it to be stereotypical, right? We don't have to stereotypically assign smells to places, but we could. Or we could leave it to the community to say, well, since the wind comes here at this time of year and we have the right conditions to grow cedar trees, 
Maybe we will grow cedar trees and, and that will be the smell that we will have and we'll have also the sonic of the sound of the wind and in the needles of the trees. What would it look like to do that? Visually, aesthetically, sonically, but also olfactorily. And to me, that's really exciting and we, we don't generally plan that way. What's sense relationship to media? If it like I'd, I'd be mm -hmm. interested to hear you think about that a little bit, and uh, and and how do we then? Is there a way of quantifying this? Like, is is there is there a further sort of abstracted relationship to the world of data? Like, how do we like? What is that? So much, so much there. Scent broadcasting is very, very interesting. So, what is it that you would broadcast? First of all, is it the molecular composition of a smell? Because we don't have, there is no magic potion for smells. Things smell like something. It smells like, so it's associative. It smells like oranges. It smells like strawberries. Very few of us, myself included, have a vocabulary that is specifically associated with a specific scent. People who are called noses, so people in the perfume industry or the fragrance and flavor industry, they have a nose and they have a vocabulary. It's generally very particular to that person or that nose. It's not an associative. You know that there's these wheels that you that um, can help you in sommelier training. So it's a kind of it's a kind of wheel, and it helps you on you know try and understand the smell of different wines and or different liqueurs and stuff. But again, it's all associative. It smells like strawberries. Smells like wood. Smells like musk. Smells like all these other things. So you've got that. So we have uh, associative vocabulary to sense, but we have no real scientific um, ontology that categorizes sense. So that's one issue that we have with scent. Two, how do you recreate a scent? Scent is based on the receptor of the scent. So from just for a pure physiological perception, how you receive it through your nose, through your mouth, because gustation and olfaction are related to each other, how your, your physiology happens to be designed, and how you've had a psychological association or exposure or cultural association to smells differs. For instance, the smell of pine, like pine sol, pine sol has different gradations of smell depending on where you go in the world. The U.S. happens to like really, really strong pine smells. We seem to like it here in Canada. When you get to Latin America, they want a more lemony thing. So the, so pine salt, even though it's pine, has different degrees of smell depending on where you are. Different cultures have different things that they like in terms of smell and different strengths. What smells good to maybe us here maybe stinks to someone in China and vice versa. Okay, so there's, there's that thing. So what is it that you would broadcast? Is it the molecular composition of a smell? So that would mean it's chemical signature. So smells have do have a chemical signature. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But a nose will tell you that you don't design a perfume solely on its chemical structure. In fact, you design a perfume not necessarily on its chemical structure because you might not even know what its chemical composition or signature is. You do it on how it actually does smell. But that doesn't help us. How would you broadcast it? So we, in fact, don't really have good smell broadcasting technologies. We actually don't have anything that really fully understands the, the, the unique signature of sense. And then we have, even if you understand molecularly, 
the composition of what that smell is, that's still an artificial recreation of that scent and not a natural recreation of that scent. So does it remain always associative? So we're not there. Back to data. There used to be databases uh, in the Eastern Bloc, so we're to bring up the Eastern Bloc with what's going on in Ukraine at the moment, but there used the Stasi used to have um, um, vials of unique smells of individuals. So if they interrogated people, they would have people sit on their hands on a cloth and whatever smet, uh, sweat was emitted as they were sitting there, that would get captured on the cloth. And they would take that cloth and they would put it in a jar and seal it. And then they would say to the person, we now know what you smell like and we can send dogs after you. So think of dogs going out looking for missing persons, for instance, like the smell of their clothing and so on. This was used by the Stasi to go and find people. So they had rooms of what you might call a biophysical data, not biometric data, because it wasn't transform transformed into some kind of electrical uh, signature of those smells in a, in a database or a numerical version of it. But they would have libraries of smells. Now, if you go to perfume houses, they will have libraries of smell and there are smell museums. So you can go into those places. So in a way, to me, uh, because it would have been organized and categorized and classified and uh, put in some kind of ontology and curated, to me, that would be olfactory data. Right. And as a way to try and get people to learn about different smells and to understand different perfumes. What would all this mean if we bring it back to our experience of the city? How, is, there, is there a parting thought that you have? Why not? So but what would it what would it be like if we went back to how I was saying that you could subliminally create associations with smell, right? We're always happy when we smell bread. Most people are anyway. Uh, we're not happy when we smell rotten fish. We're happy when we smell roses, whatever, depending on who you are. So what would happen if you actually associated smells with a particular place? You know, I often thought, well, what would a nation smell like? You know, so we, we have most provinces have a national flower, right? If you look at our flags, there's a national flower. What do those flowers smell like? A provincial flower. Right? There usually is. What would that smell like? Right? Could we, if when I arrive, you know, at uh, pierre Elliott Trudeau Airport, would I smell the fleur de lis? Doesn't really have a strong smell, but would I? Uh, and what would that be? You know, would, would there be an association with that? Would I go on a website of particular places or different cities? And as soon as I got to the website, you know, providing, let's say, the technology of scent broadcasting was as evolved as a printer, you know, and that could broadcast a scent that didn't make us sick from allergies and stuff, because synthetic smells do cause allergies. So let's say we dealt with all those technological limitations. And I was navigating on a website and I... Then I arrived on Ottawa and it smelled like lilacs, which is a pretty good signature smell for Ottawa because we do. There is a time of year where lilacs are very predominant in, in the smellscape in the summer or in the spring. So you could do that kind of thing. And it would be really interesting to do so. It would be really interesting to take a tour of the city based on scent and, and maybe go back in time. You know, Bytown used to reek. Bytown was really, really smelly. La Breton Flats, which is not far from the area where we live, 
um, was a place of industry. It was a place of making matches just across the way. So the sulfur of the matches. And then you would have uh, on the other side all the wood manufacturing and the pulp and the paper from the Scots paper industry. The river used to have a very strong smell because the river had logs flowing through it. I remember it as a child. It doesn't anymore. So what would it be like to have, a, let's say, a, a multi-century walk in that area and your tour guide would broadcast the smells of that moment and take you back there as they're explaining the history, the evolution of the city, the political economy and the history of the city and associated it with smells to help you kind of remember it. Like I could see that as being very, very exciting and interesting. I would love, this is something I don't know enough about, what, does this, what is the smell of reconciliation? What does that smell like? right? What is the smell of uh, peace? I don't know what that smell is, but what would that be? And what would be associate that with? What would be the smell of comfort? Some people it would be associated with bread, you know, many things that we've talked about, what would that be? And so how could we, you know, what would it be like to have blindfolds on and walk through the city with a, with a trusted friend and to experience the city strictly through smell and to do those smell types of tours and to understand it better and to, and to kind of pinpoint ascent to a place and back to, I don't know where we were in the conversation, but wherever it was, to intentionally uh, infuse natural scents in the city through urban planning and understanding of wind patterns so that we can all benefit and maybe be more attuned to the changing patterns of nature in our cities with having smell in them. I could imagine that happening and I could imagine that really changing uh, my day-to-day -day experience and interaction with the city.